Hello, my fellow Christian investors. This is Financial Advisor Say the Darndest Things. I'm your host and my mom's favorite Christian investment advisor, A.B. Ridgeway. If this is your first time to the show, I want to say welcome. If you're coming back for another spiritual refill and want to learn more ways to increase your faith and increase your finances, welcome back. Traditionally, as Christians, we struggle with our faith in the pursuit of financial security. We are raised to think that being rich kept you from heaven. We were taught how to tithe and how to give to the less fortunate, which is good. But when it came to our own personal finances, like how to manage debt, how to invest into our retirement, or even build our legacy, we were left in the dark. But by the grace of God, he has shined a light on you today because this podcast speaks to you and Christians like you as we use biblical principles to prove to you that riches and righteousness don't have to be separate. Remember this, God wants you to be prosperous, and we do too. So if you're ready to learn what they didn't teach you in college or Sunday school, turn up the volume and let's make this happen. We have a very exciting show for you today. We'll be talking about investing, how the Bible debunks for the biggest lies we tell ourselves, our Christian financial principles outdated, and finally, if your finances are stressing you out, we give you the three major causes and how to overcome them. So let's start off with a prayer. Lord, please bless those that are listening. Let them open their hearts, their ears, and their minds. Guide us to the ways that you see fit. We ask that you bless this episode that is productive and useful. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. All right, my Christian investors, let's make it happen. We all know that investing is the best way to build wealth. But are the lines we tell ourselves keeping us from being prosperous? Even with a proven track record, people are still skeptical with putting their money in an investment. So today, we are going to debunk some of these lines we tell ourselves. The first, I don't want to lose any money. Have you heard that before? Ah, you know, the stock market is crazy. You know, I don't want to lose any money. Of course. I know the stock market looks scary and volatile, but... You don't have to be the wolf of Wall Street, right? You don't have to be throwing papers and, and scream, buy, sell, buy, sell. Investing is a long-term game. It says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So when it comes to your financial future, your heart should be making sure that you maintain or improve the quality of your life you want in your elderly years. So what we're doing here is that we're dreaming like we're living forever, but we're living like we're dying today. See, you don't have to tell me where your heart is. If you just give me your bank statement, I'll tell you where it is. Because we have a tendency to direct our tangible and intangible assets toward the things that we love. So as Christian financial advisors, we understand. The fear of loss is a strong one. It is the same one that had us scared to drive our first car. It's the same fear that had us nervous on the first day of school. And it's the same fear that causes us to procrastinate saving for our future. But if we let those fears overpower us, some of us would, wouldn't be able to drive to work. We wouldn't be able to read Faith and Finance blog that happens to come to your email when you subscribe every Tuesday and Thursday by A.B. Ridgeway. Cheap plug, I know. <laughs> and if you don't invest in your financial future, you may not have one. So let's go to the second one. 
You've heard this excuse, I know. I'll invest later. I have too much going on. I'm too busy. And I can't invest. It's just, you know, children are running everywhere. Things are going crazy at the job. And, you know, family and friends are driving me crazy. I'll invest later. Have you heard this before? Is this something that you tell yourself? So this is what you're thinking. Understand, there will never, I repeat, listen, never be a good time to start. I have a saying. Investing isn't about timing the market. It is about time in the market. Too many times I find investors say, hey, AB, the market's uh, down. Should we buy the dip? Hey, you know, the market's doing really good. Should I get into, you know, the market now? It's, it's not a timing thing. It's not a when it's good to get in and when it's good to get out. The reason being is because no one controls the market. So if you come to me and you say, hey, it's a good time to get into the market. There's a market correction. I don't say yes. Then you may come to me and say, hey, the market's high. It's doing really good. It's time to get in. I'll say yes. Why? Because the sooner you start investing, the sooner you can get into the cycle. And what that means is that the market has this economic cycle, has its ebbs and flows. So it's going to have some good times. It's going to have some bad times. Who cares if you get in on the high time and it dips? That's fine. Your time horizon needs to be far enough. If you need your money in the next year or two, you shouldn't be investing. If you need your money in the next five years, you need to be cautious of what you invest in. If you need your money in 10 years or 20 years, there's a lot of things that's going to happen over those 20 years than just the two or three months that you start investing. Does that make sense? So we need to put an earmark on what the money does when it does it. Meaning that if you don't need your money in 20 years, we don't need to start thinking about market changes and withdrawal rates and things of that nature until you get closer to your deadline. It says in the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 40, but everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. So if you don't have a plan for your financial future, that's not fitting and that's not handling your finances in any orderly way. Okay. So let me break this down. When you have a financial plan, when you've earmarked your money for when you're going to need it, you know, when you're going to need to make adjustments for it, you have an investment strategy. And this will help you recognize potential risk and increase your chances of success. But there's one caveat, though. And we discussed this in in one of our blogs on faith and finance. You want to make sure that you have your emergency fund in place. So if you need tips on how to build an emergency fund, go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash blog or go to our website, um, click Christian Media, go to the blog and search for emergency fund. It should come up. That's going to help you build before you even start investing. Remember, investing is just like a seed. The sooner you plant it, the sooner it will grow into a tree and you can enjoy the fruits of your labor. So number three, I don't have enough money to invest. I'm not a billionaire. I'm not Warren Buffett or Elon Musk or Bill Gates. Have you heard that one? You know, things are tough and money's tight. Listen, you have money. Remember, you are an investor. Every day, you are investing. You're investing in clothes. You're investing in your housing. You're investing into food, children, work, entertainment. What you mean to say is you would rather invest in other things and you don't want to invest in your future cash flow. Let's be honest with ourselves. We're very straight 
on this podcast and we're very direct because this is what we need. We need somebody to be honest with us or we'll continue to run with these excuses and our behaviors will never change and we'll have the same outcome. And then what we'll do is that we'll we'll have this regret. I wish somebody would have told me earlier. This is somebody telling you now. Okay. So if you're thinking this way, that's a major concern. Now, you don't have to invest thousands of dollars to be successful. We talked about that in another podcast about um, buying fractional shares, getting in, finding out where you fit in the market. It says in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11, dishonest money dwindles away. But whoever gathers money little by little makes it grow. So by waiting until you're 59 or 60 to start investing, you're trying to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. You need to give yourself some leeway, right? It's easier to invest $20,000 over 20 years than it is to try to invest $20,000 in two. So the best advice we could provide is invest as soon and as often as you financially can. You're going to start small. And you're going to build your way up. Number four, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know anything about the stock market. I don't know anything about finances. This is all foreign to me. Uh, you know, I'm not going to invest. You know, I don't, I don't know enough. Really? Have, have you caught yourself saying this? So let me ask you this. When people are sick and never been to medical school or picked up a medical book, what do they do? They go straight to what website? You probably can guess it. WebMD, right? Or maybe even Google. Maybe some of you go to Google and you type in your symptoms. Oh, I have a runny nose or, you know, my eye itches or whatever it may be. But what do you do? You try to figure out what is going on. Why? Because it's stressful. You want a solution. The reason you're not pursuing investing is because it doesn't hurt enough yet. You're young. The pain is in the future. Does that make sense? So when we talk about heart disease, when we talk about underlining issues, those things are accumulation. You don't wake up one day with clogged arteries. It happens gradually over time. But we don't address those issues because they're not apparent. Same thing with investing. We figure we have a long way to invest. We have a long time. But the accumulating effects can be very detrimental. And then when we approach our retirement, we realize that we are in danger. Then we try to do too much. Then we potentially could hurt ourselves. But remember, the world is full of resources and people who are willing to help you. But first, you have to invest in yourself. Seeking advice may be the best investment you make. It says in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 14, where there is no counsel, the people fell. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Remember, start by getting a consultation. Speak with someone about your situation and discuss which direction you should start. Seeking help, getting information, getting knowledge. And that's what you're doing now. And now I want to applaud you. Let's take a second to just thank you. Thank you for listening. It takes a lot of humility to listen to a podcast like this and tell yourself, I need help. But guess what? This is what God wants you to do. He wants you to seek counseling. He wants you to seek help from professionals. He wants you to know so you can make a better decision for your family. And God has made this promise to you that 
if you do gather information, your plans will succeed and things will start to fall into place. Are you still with me? So let's make a transition into our next subject. Are Christian finance principles in the Bible outdated or not? So let, let me know if this sounds familiar. All right, it's time for you to get a job. You need to type up your resume. You need to make sure it's centered. You need to make sure that your compliments are all bullet points. You need to make copies at Kinko's and you need to walk around town and get them out to the manager, shake their hands, let them know who you are. Dress up. I want a button up shirt, tie your best Sunday best and you're going to get that job. Oh, is that familiar? Parts of it, right? And I'm sure most of you have heard this from a loving parent or friend at some point in your life. Now, regardless, they may have had the best intentions for you, but those pearls of wisdom are, let's just say, outdated. But are the principles in the Bible outdated as well? One, debt makes you a slave. It says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, the rich rule over the poor and the borrower is the slave of the lender. Now, before we take a blanket approach to this topic, let's take a look at the word rich. At first glance, we think of money, and this is the traditional way to think of riches. But I want you, just for this example, to change that definition to an abundance of resources. And there's a reason for this. Because someone may have, let's say, $4 million in real estate and only a few thousand dollars in actual cash. So, so with that said, because the rich has the resources, those who are poor financially must come to them for help. So I'm going to break down a little definition for you here. For a transaction to occur, there must be an exchange. In this case, you are exchanging their resources, which is housing, money, cars, etc. For your time, physical ability, intellectual property. And until there is an equal exchange of resources, you will have to continuously give your resources to them because you're in debt. So if they need your time, you got to give it to them. They need your physical ability, you got to give it to them. If they need your intellectual property, you need to give it to them. Why? Because you have their money. <laughs> you have their resources. So because you have their resources, you need to pay them back. I don't like to give problems without giving solutions. So what can we do to protect ourselves? First, before all else, be patient. So before you make your big purchase, be patient. One of the biggest contributors to debt is the inability to wait. And listen, it's not your fault. The media and society has pressured you to think you need it now. You need the new shoes now. You need that new dress now. You need that new home now. You need that car now. So to overcome this urgency, I encourage you to leverage your own resources and set proper expectations. Maybe it takes you two years to buy that car, but that is better than being a slave to the lender. Now, I'm not saying if you need a car, don't get a car. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is try your best to put as much of your own resources into that car so you don't have to borrow someone else's. So this leads us to this next point. Borrow only what you need 
not what you want. Now, we all fall on hard times sometimes, but in an attempt to reclaim our status, right, or our living um, conditions, we overextend ourselves. And we need to be honest with ourselves and what we are able to afford. Because that's what it is. That's what debt is. Debt is the fact that you are living a lifestyle that you cannot afford. Y'all hear that? So that means that if your debt is constantly increasing, that means you're living a lifestyle that you cannot afford. And you're continuously going to have to borrow resources and resources trying to live that life. Okay? So, yes. I think, I think it's a clear answer. Yes, this biblical financial principle still holds up today. Right? When you borrow, you're giving up your future and current resources until you repay that debt. I've always said, well, I'm just not going to pay my debt. I just won't pay it. I got the bill in. I'm going to rip it up. I'm not going to pay it. Well, let's see what the Bible says about that. It says wicked are those that don't repay their debts. Oh, well, let me give you the scripture here. <laughs> let me not paraphrase. Proverbs chapter 37, verse 21. I want you to follow here. The wicked borrows and does not repay. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. So that means that God says, okay, if you give to somebody who's in need, that's a righteous act, right? You're rich and you're righteous. Remember I told you that earlier. But the wicked will borrow and don't repay. Have somebody ever borrowed money from you and didn't repay you? How did that make you feel? And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I'm borrowing it from the credit card company. They're a big company and they make billions and billions of dollars. And who cares? Well, I kind of care. Because regardless if it's a company or not, there are employees that work there. And if that company doesn't get those debts paid back, then they lose their jobs and they can't feed their family. And you'll say, oh, that's wicked. They're, 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 the interest rates are 20% and more. You know, they're evil. Okay, well, why are you going to someone who's evil to get a loan when it suits your needs? And then when it doesn't, you want to call them evil. You get, what I'm point. You get my point here, right? So it is truly wicked to borrow without the intent to repay. Now, in this verse, it shows that the righteous will show you mercy when they see you are in pain and give. So to take advantage of that compassion and not repay is not aligned with the word of God. Now, as I said before, regardless of how you feel about the terms of the agreement, credit card companies are charging almost 20% plus interest on the money that you borrow. And that's very high. But millions of Americans still leverage credit cards and continue to get further and further into debt. And they really just need to start paying it off. Because that $1 loaf of bread over the next year turns into $1.20. And it just compounds over and over and over again until you pay that debt. And unfortunately, sometimes you end up paying two, three dollars for a one dollar loaf of bread. That's tough. Paying three times the price. OK, so to avoid falling into this pitfall, I want you to consider the following. I want you to immediately set up a repayment plan. Now, you may not have the resources today, but you can allocate future income to paying off the debt. This will set proper expectations for you and the borrower. Not only does this give you more time, it also builds trust between you and the lender for potentially future transactions. Can you imagine going to a friend says, listen friend, I need $200 um, because my lights are gonna get cut off or my electricity is gonna get cut off, but 
I will pay you back weekly or I'll pay you back five dollars for the next six months or ten dollars or whatever it is that you feel like you can do and set that up and they can agree to the terms. And I'm sure as you pay, as they're getting those deposits in, they're building trust with you instead of just dodging them. I just won't talk to them. I won't call them. I won't text them. I won't show them what I'm doing because in the meantime, you're going to have to buy things and they're going to be looking at you. When you buy those new shoes, they're going to be looking at you. When you buy that soap or you're in the shopping center or if you're eating your meal, posting it on Facebook, they're watching you. And it's going to cause mistrust. And it's going to jeopardize you borrowing money in the future. Okay? Same thing with credit card departments. You don't pay back your bill. They ding your credit and everybody sees it. And now other people won't trust you. You see that cycle? Okay? Next tip. We want to communicate. The worst you can do is go silent. Now, we tend to run from our lenders. We think holding our head under the pillow that the debt will magically go away. And that couldn't be further from the truth. If anything, it makes it worse. So keep the lines of communication open between you and the lender. If the terms need to be readjusted, they will be more inclined to do so with someone who's honest and who has been paying. So as you see, the two biblical principles around debt hold up over 2,000 years later. Some principles never get outdated, and these are the two that did not. The Lord wants us to be prosperous, but if trouble overwhelms us, you can use these two principles to help you handle your situation in a way that is pleasing to God. This doesn't mean that you can't use debt or that debt is bad. But taking on unnecessary debt or debt from greed is. So to summarize, don't borrow more than you need. If you need to borrow, make sure you communicate and set up a repayment plan. And be patient. You don't need everything today. Good things come to those who wait. We're going to take a quick break. But as always, this episode is sponsored by A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management a Christian investment firm with a 100% virtual platform. So you can work with an advisor that shares your faith and not just the advisors that share your zip code. So be sure to subscribe and join our family as we bring on guests that also live the faith-based life. Enjoy spiritual interviews with some of the best leaders in the industry. And if you need to speak with a Christian advisor, I want you to go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash consultation that's c-o-n-s-u-l-t-a-t-i-o-n and schedule your free consultation and discuss your situation with someone who cares all right are y'all still with me are y'all enjoying this show because this show is for you i hope that you're learning a lot of valuable information i hope you're hearing some things that you never heard before and you're seeing your finances from a different perspective so let's get back to the show. I want to ask you, how are your finances? Are they stressing you out? If you're like most Americans, and you're like most Christians, they are. So here are three major causes of financial stress and how to overcome them. Now, unfortunately, these times are crazy and uncertain, and I'm sure that your stress levels are super high. But allow me to give you some relief. Well, maybe not total relief, but maybe a dose of reality because I, I think 
no matter the condition of the economy, we are always going to find something to worry about, whether it's not having enough money or not being able to pay the bills. And I'm sure during the pandemic that many of you had to dip into that emergency fund. Some were glad that they had it to even dip into. And some realized, yeah, I need one. So just to be clear, there is never a time where we know for certain what our future finances will hold. That is why I want to address these three financial stressors and give you these tips on how to overcome them. Do you feel secure at your job? Are you concerned about mandates? Are there new policies that conflict with your morality? Tell me, what would you do if you had to be let go because of budget cuts? That is why it's important that you, that's why it's important that you prepare yourself with an emergency fund to use as a cushion, just in case. Now, now we can't control if our employers keep us around, but we can ensure that we have enough money to survive in case they do. Now, as we spoke on many times, an emergency fund is three to six months of savings, depending on how many dependents and stream of incomes that you have, right? So this is just kind of like a, a general rule of thumb. And we're going to maintain this in cash in case something like, I don't know, a pandemic hits and there is an economic downturn. Or even now, as we're experiencing a correction in the market, which is normal, especially for investors who's been investing for a long period of time, because at this point, a majority of them are not losing their principal. The only 10% pullback is on their profits. Does that make sense? So they're still up. So if you need help figuring out how much that you may need, start with making a budget. Try a program like, you know, mint.com where you can track your expenses and see exactly where your money is going and more importantly, where it's not going. The second fear is the fear of credit card debt. Now, does it seem like you just can't pay down your credit card? Is the interest rate making it difficult to pay down the principal? See, during the pandemic, some had to rely on their emergency fund. But unfortunately, many more Americans who are already in debt had to lean further on their credit cards. For those who are struggling, managing credit card debt is, is a huge cause of stress. Now, here are some tips to help you manage your debt. First, let's think about renegotiating your terms. If you've been paying on time, if you've been paying on time, but maybe money's a little bit tight, you may be able to negotiate what they call hardship terms, where the credit card company will suspend interest payments for a period of time to help you get on your feet. Now, remember, this is not a chance to relax. Take this time to put as much towards your principal as you can, because the rates are still going to come back at a later date. Now, this goes back to my original point. Those who don't pay back their debt, if you have not been paying your credit card and have a lot of late fees and uh, delinquencies and everything else like that, there's going to be some issues. Your credit card company may not want to work with you. But if you've been paying on time, putting a little bit more principal in there, you fall on hard times, they may work with you. Okay, see how that comes back? The second tip is stop spending and adjust your lifestyle below your income level. The best way to stay in debt is to keep spending. Let me say that again. 
the best way to stay in debt is to keep spending. The reason you're currently in debt in the first place is because you are living a lifestyle that is more expensive than you can afford. There are no debt management strategies that can help you in this case until you readjust this aspect of your life. You know what they say, if you want things you never had, you have to do things you've never done. Does that make sense? So at this point, you have two choices. You can either make more money or you could spend less. But what that number is for you, you're going to have to do some deep diving. You're going to have to find out how much income that you have and exactly how much expenses you have per month. That's the only way you're going to figure it out. If you're afraid to look at your finances, once again, you're never going to know exactly what you need and you're not going to get the help that you need. So unless you're up for a promotion or willing to get a second job to increase your income, the easiest way to get out of debt is to readjust your lifestyle below what you can afford until you catch up. It takes humility to say you can't afford this life right now. But learning that statement can get you out and keep you out of credit card debt. Because what's the point of getting out of credit card debt if you're just going to fall right back into it? Right. The last point here. We're going to pay the highest interest rate card first. And I know you had a lot of bills and probably own more than one credit card. To make the largest impact dollar for dollar, you want to pay the credit card with the highest interest rate first. Then contribute any additional principal to the balance after paying the minimums on all the other cards. Now, I'm not going to try to explain this avalanche technique here on the podcast or explain the exercise. Well, what I want you to do is go to www.abrwealthmanagement.com backslash blog and look at the, uh, the blog post titled The Three Major Causes of Stress and How to Overcome Them. Um, there I have a written example of what we can do, right? So there's three different credit cards, credit card A, B, and C with balances of $10,000, $3,800 with interest rates of 6%, 20%, and 12% respectively. And I show you how to pay off that credit card what cards are we going to pay the minimums on? Which ones are we going to put additional principal? Okay. But yeah, go to the blog, see it. We'll give you that example and, you know, give you some tips on how to pay down that credit card debt. Okay. Now, this is a professional tip here. Don't make the mistake of not making the minimum payments because late charges and non-payments can wreck your credit card score, which would be counterproductive in the process. So, don't just take all your money and put it on one card. Don't do that. Okay? We, we, there's a strategy behind there. So that's why I want you to go to the blog, see the example, where I kind of break down that example. Because if you do it the wrong way, it can cause a lot of problems. So if you need some help, make sure you go uh, speak to a financial advisor, um, somebody that can kind of help you break down some of those techniques there. Okay? Number three, the fear of death. Now, we all aren't Warren Buffett. We aren't so rich that we can give 99% of our wealth to charity and our kids still inherit a quarter billion dollars each, right? So if you fear not leaving your children anything, here are some things you may want to consider. One is life insurance. This is a safety net for most who cannot afford to pass on $100,000 to their children for funeral costs and other expenses, including credit card debt. I want you to speak with an insurance agent and look into some term insurance that will cover your family in case of an unfortunate accident. There are many calculations to help you determine how much you need, but the variables are too many to discuss 
in this podcast. But remember this. You want to save. That's your emergency fund. You want to protect, which is transferring risk for your insurance company. Then grow. That's going to be your investments. The next tip, I want you to name direct beneficiaries. Make sure that the money you do leave goes to the children and not to the state. Unclaimed property can leave hundreds of dollars on the table, including but not limited to old retirement accounts at old jobs, refund checks, and stock holdings. Check your local state for Pacifics. Now beware of people saying they can find your unclaimed property for a fee. You can do it yourself by just going to your state uh, local site. It's a government site. Remember, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. If you're still struggling with your credit card debt, you can always speak with a Christian advisor to help you through this rough patch. I mean, sometimes just getting a financial plan together can help you develop a strategy that complements your life. It says in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4, Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Never forget that the Lord will be with you. This is just a test of your faith. But with patience and perseverance, the Lord will always provide for you. So before we go, I want to send out a special thank you to last week's guest, um, Stephen Gwinnup, for coming on the show. Um, she's an exercise physiologist and certified wellness coach. She has been the national operations manager for the YMCA in Australia. She's a business development manager, and now for the past six years, she has dedicated her life to helping business professionals regain their health as founder and CEO of Grow Wealthy. If she's not doing push-ups on a mountain or saving the lives of stressed-out financial advisors, she's spending time with her beautiful family, and we were lucky enough to have her on our show. We learned so much from her. We talked about the four pillars of a well-balanced life, the illness slash wellness spectrum and signs of knowing what side you're on and how to live a well-balanced life. Well, that is it for today's show. But before you go, I would like to end in a prayer. Lord, thank you for bringing us together for another episode. We bow down to your will and continue to look to you for guidance. We pray that you give us discernment and guide us in the ways that you deem is righteous. Bless this show. And once again, bless those that are listening. We have learned so much today and pray for continuous growth in our finance and in our faith. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. Well, everyone, I want to thank you for joining me today, and I look forward to speaking with you next week. As always, this episode was created by A.B. Ridgeway, owner of A.B. Ridgeway Wealth Management, a 100% virtual platform so you can work with the advisor that shares your faith and not just the advisor that shares your zip code. If you need help figuring out your finances, feel free to reach out to us at 337-414-3686 or visit our website at www.abrwealthmanagement.com and schedule a free consultation. New episodes are available every Friday, so be sure to subscribe. You can also listen to our podcast on your favorite platforms, Amazon Music, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and more. Or simply visit our website and join our family. I am A.B. Ridgeway, and I'll see you on the other side of your blessing. Elijah Ridgeway is an investment advisor representative and owner of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management, LLC, 
a registered investment advisor which produces the podcast show and makes it available on its website and through other distribution channels. Elijah and Ridgeway and any guests on the podcast are providing their own views and opinion are not necessarily the views and opinions of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management. Nothing on the podcast show should be construed as a solicitation or offer or recommendation to buy, sell any Pacific security. Investment advisory services are only provided to investors who become AB Ridgeway Wealth Management clients pursuant to a written investment management agreement. Clients of AB Ridgeway Wealth Management may hold positions and securities discussed in the podcast. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All investments involve risk and may lose money. Financial advisors say the darn distinct podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied on for any investment decision. Instead, please consult with a financial advisor, accountant, attorney, and or conduct your own due diligence.